0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit salemheightschurch.org.
1: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. What is the word? This word that was with God and was God through whom all things were created. Who does this glory belong to? The word is Jesus, God the Son, the second perfect person of the Trinity. And just like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, He has always existed. Before He had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, He was there. And yet today, we celebrate His birth. It's a beautiful image, the manger. Something so small, so temporary, used to feed creatures, should house the infinite Creator manger deserves our attention. It demands that we glorify and praise God, just like the shepherds seeking the proclaimed Savior 2,000 years ago. Have we rushed too quickly past this miraculous wonder that God would choose to be formed inside Mary's womb, cells multiplying into a nose, a neck, kidneys, toenails. Have our hearts grown accustomed to the hymnals' words, Offspring of a virgin's womb, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity! Who is this Word that stepped out of eternity and into a manger? He is the exact image of God, and in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the supreme creator. In wisdom, He has made them all. The earth is full of His creatures. He is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is infinite and self-existing and all-knowing. He is the second person of the Trinity, willing to join His divinity with humanity. He is the righteous judge, appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He is unlimited, able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. He is the king of kings whose throne is established with justice and righteousness. He is the fullness of God express. He is the lion of Judah, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He is the mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is Emmanuel, God with us.
2: Christmas. This morning, we're going to be looking at John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory. The glory is the one and the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him.
0: is where we're going to be this morning. Over the last several weeks, we have been answering this question, what makes Christmas so special? We started with the reminder that one of the central themes of Christmas and the gospel is this theme of reconciliation, that God initiated this restoration of our relationship with Him, that He took the initiative to repair our broken relationship with Him. We then looked at the idea of relationship and that the heart of the Christmas story is a relationship that God did not send his son just merely to to kind of broker a peace treaty between us and, and God, but he came to pursue a relationship that ultimately would glorify him as he would restore creation. Last week, we were encouraged to join in the rejoicing that we see throughout the Christmas story believing that the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus was truly good news for all people. And so this morning, what I'd love for us to do as we wrap up this series is to consider for just a few moments together the significance of the incarnation. And remember that the arrival of God's son is the revelation of God's love. Here in the, First chapter of John, we read about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among mankind. Anytime we we read the book of John, we should remember who he was. He was one of Jesus's closest friends while he was on earth. And actually at the end of this letter, John expresses and kind of unveils for us his intentions, why he was writing this letter. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you hear his desire? John wasn't just writing to tell a historical account of some things that took place during his lifetime. He was writing something that he experienced, something that was so real, he wanted to pass it along to generations of people after who would read about this Jesus, and by believing in him would have the life that he experienced through relationship with Emmanuel. His desire was that you and I would believe this, not just intellectually, but from our hearts, to believe that Jesus was not just an ordinary man, but he was truly the Messiah. And this conviction flows out of John's personal experience. This wasn't something that had been passed down to him. This is something he actually lived. Later on in the New Testament, he writes another letter. And in that letter, he says this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we've observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the father and was revealed to us. John is saying, this isn't just a story I'm telling you. I'm telling you about a man who I actually saw with my own eyes. I actually touched with my own hands. I actually heard the things he taught. I saw the things that he did. And this was no ordinary man. This was Emmanuel, God in the flesh. John is not simply retelling a historical event. He is giving a testimony to a supernatural event known as the incarnation. And so this morning in our text, we heard these words, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And then we hear these familiar words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This morning, we've come together to reflect on the incarnation. We've come together to have our minds reminded and our emotions stirred by the reality of the fact that God's son did come to earth. And this morning, we just wanna take a few moments to reflect on that because here's the concern, is that for many of us, this is not the first Christmas we've ever been through. This is a very familiar story, a story that we've been looking at for years, decades, generations. But the concern is that our familiarity with this story might lead us to miss the magnitude of this miracle that John is talking about. One author suggests that once we wrestle with and truly understand for ourselves the incarnation, this idea of God becoming man, it becomes far easier to accept the rest of the teachings of the New Testament. He writes, some have argued that the supreme miracle of Christianity is not the resurrection of Christ from the dead, but the incarnation, the beginningless omnipotent creator of the universe, took on human nature without the loss of his deity so that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. Of all the things that Christianity proclaims, this is the most staggering. And so this morning, I wanna remind us of three reasons why we should celebrate the incarnation why we should celebrate, why we can say, thank you, Lord, and and to get together and, and have this time be not just an exchanging of gifts or time with family, but truly a celebration of what God did when he sent his son to take on human flesh. The first reason that we should celebrate the incarnation is it's special. The incarnation invites intimacy with the God of creation. Here's how. There are two ways that God has revealed himself to mankind. There's two ways that he has communicated truth about himself to creation. The first way is through his physical creation. The Bible tells us in Romans that for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. What the Bible tells us is that you and I have been given a mind that can perceive the world and universe around us. And when we look at that and we reflect on that and we consider all that has been created, we can actually begin to understand that there has to be a powerful creator of all these things that we see. That we can see that this is a powerful God, an intellectual God, a God that has intention and design. And the scripture tells us that we can learn about this God through our observation of creation. This is known as general revelation. Anyone can see this. But the second form of revelation that God has shown to us is known as special revelation. This is when God communicates beyond just creation. He did this first through his spoken word, as we began to proclaim things through audible words to men who wrote them down, and, and those words have been collected and organized. And what we now look at as our Bible, God began to reveal more about who he is. He didn't leave it for us to just kind of try to discern through our observation of creation. No, he actually took the time to communicate about himself through spoken word. But then he took it one step further. Verse 14 says again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observe the glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18, John says this, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. This is special revelation that the God of the universe took time not just to communicate about who he is, but actually to personify who he is. God the Son took on human flesh and God's character and his will were personified in the words and works of Jesus. No longer were, were we left to just understanding this intellectually or conceptually, but now in Jesus, as, as we read about his life and we read what he actually said, God in the flesh, and what he actually did as a human, we can now understand him in a more real way and, and he has become more relatable to us, although he is still God so the incarnation is something worth celebrating because it has provided extraordinary access to intimate fellowship with our creator. You can't help but read through John chapter one and right off the bat, John, one of cl- Jesus' closest friends during his earthly ministry says, I want you to know right off the bat that Jesus wasn't just God, he, he's the creator of all things. John puts on display right at the very beginning in these first couple of verses, the authority and the power that God the Son had and yet He came on and took human flesh. He moved towards us. And now we can have relationship, we can have intimacy with God. He's not this powerful figure that stands kind of distant from us that we have to cower in front of. No, we can honorably and respectfully come near him because he's invited us to get to know him and to live with him. We should celebrate the incarnation because it's special. But the second reason we should celebrate the incarnation is it's one of a kind. The incarnation reveals the generosity of God's grace. There's a phrase that we see a couple times here in this opening prologue of John's gospel letter that we read in a couple other parts of John that I think is pretty familiar to us. It's this phrase, one and only. He says it here in verse 14. That we observe the glory, the glory is of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I don't know about you, but whenever I think about this idea of the one and only son, I, I think of John three sixteen. that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Consider the generosity of God giving his one and only son to us. Many of us are gonna exchange gifts. We're gonna receive things uh, over the next couple of days. Maybe we've already started our family traditions and it's always enjoyable to receive a gift because that that gift communicates something. It communicates a a, a care or a value of one another. We want to show you that we, we love you. We want to give you something that expresses that love and care for another person. But there are certain gifts that have more value and have more meaning, not necessarily because of their financial cost, but because of the sacrifice that the gift represents. Some of my most cherished possessions as a dad are things that have no monetary value and would be of little value to you, but they're little bookmarks and little things that my kids made for me growing up. If you were to look in some of my books and some of the Bibles that are in my office, you would be flipping through there and there would be a bookmark that would have a picture of one of my kids when they were in kindergarten or first grade and it would be colored and there'd be some theme to it. And at that point, that's what they had to give. This was love. Dad, I want to show you. I love you. Thank you for being my dad. And they would create this thing and they would give this to me as a gift and they'd be so proud of it. Why? Because it was the purest representation of their value and their love for me. And those gifts are precious. It's not something that, that, that was duplicate. It's one of a kind. My prayer this morning, as we get ready to, to celebrate Christmas, is that we would not just skip over the fact that God gave us his one and only son. That statement is said over and over and over, because I think it's intended for us to see it and to capture it and to hold on to it and not just move quickly over it, that God wanted to give us something of eternal value, something so precious. He's indicating to us not only the sacrifice that was made, but also that how generous his grace is. Remember that word grace, when we hear the word grace in the Bible, what God is communicating to us is that he is showing us favor that we do not deserve. I love what it says in Romans chapter eight. It says, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? The author of Romans here is trying to communicate. Think about this. When we think about, you know, can God really help us or is God really willing to meet our needs? Or can God really come through when we need him? The author of Romans is saying, He's already giving you his one and only son. He, do you think there's anything he's gonna withhold from you and say, I can't give you that because this is, this is too important, too valuable to me. Now the gift of a one and only son communicates to us God's generous grace. And John reflects on that here in verse 16, when it says this, indeed we have all received grace upon grace, from his fullness. There's an abundance to God's generosity. There's a eternal nature to what God gives us that every time we come to him needing his comfort, needing his wisdom, needing his love, it says in Christ, Now we can have confidence that we will receive that grace over and over and over and over in abundance. There's nothing that the creator of all things withholds from those who are in relationship with him. And we know that because he already gave us his one and only son. In Christ, we find life from death. In Christ, we find light in darkness. In Christ, we receive adoption when we were alone. Look what it says in verses four and five. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. For those of us who Place our faith in Christ. It says that we have light. That even though this world is dark by sin and there's so much chaos and uncertainty and things that are legitimately worthy of fear, we don't have to fear because He is our light. He will show us the way to go, He will provide wisdom and direction and clarity. But not only that, we receive adoption. Look what it says in verses 12 and 13, John says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. There's something that supernaturally takes place in us when we place our faith in Christ. He receives us, he adopts us, he places us into his family. And now we know that we will never be alone. God will always be with us. And that's revealed in the incarnation. And so we celebrate the incarnation, not because it's just special, but because it's also A moment where God revealed the generosity of his grace, where he shows us his abundant unmerited favor because of his love for us. We should celebrate the incarnation because it's one of a kind. But there's one final reason why it's good to celebrate the incarnation, and that is it's necessary. The incarnation satisfied the necessity of a perfect sacrifice. John highlights something here in verse 17. He says this, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, like his original audience, you and I are familiar with the law. The law in the Bible was the standard that God had placed but it was never meant to be a standard that we could follow through in our own strength and then have relationship with God. No, we're familiar with God's law and our failure to meet it just like this original audience would have been. We've all sinned and we've wrecked our relationship with God. But what the law does is it reveals our need for a savior. And when the, when the God man came, when, when God the son came and took on human flesh, that savior was revealed. The law revealed our need for a savior and that is just what God sent us. There was an article that kind of highlighted the fact that God's son is exactly what we need. What's your greatest need right now? There are lots of needs within our church. There are lots of needs within the families that make up our church. There are lots of things that we're putting our minds to and and trying to organize our resources to meet and trying to think of. I think when we kind of reflect on what do we need, there's no shortage of things that come to mind. But what is our greatest need? This article suggests this, that If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If your greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer but our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. I love what it says that, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And this is a topic we've talked a lot about here at Salem Heights, that Christ was not just 50% grace and 50% truth, but he was fully grace and fully truth. That meant that he, showed us unmerited favor, yet he did not compromise righteousness. He did not change the standard, but fulfilled it. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this, don't think that I came to abolish the law and prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. In Hebrews chapter four, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Jesus came and his perfection qualified him to be the perfect sacrifice. And that is exactly what we needed. We didn't need just a good man We needed a perfect man and there's not a single, just purely man that could be perfect. So we needed a savior who was both fully God and fully man to be our perfect sacrifice, to be our perfect substitute. We needed that. And so we celebrate the incarnation because God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The arrival of the sun is the revelation of God's love for us. I don't know about you, but as I've just been kind of spending time this week, thinking about Christmas, thinking about why we do what we do, getting to participate in the celebration at the Elsinore this week and to to hear so many moving things taught during this season. One of the things that has really stood out to me and it's just moved me personally, is the fact that God is a God of action, not just of words. I don't know about you, but I've made promises and commitments that I have fallen short to fulfill. Sometimes even with the best intentions, where it's like, I'm gonna be committed, or I'm gonna show this kind of grace to other people. And then because I'm fallen, because I'm broken, something happens where I draw a line in the sand and said, no more. But as we read through the Christmas story, as we read through these passages, like John chapter one, if we'll take the time to actually just ponder what's being said here, what we're reminded of is that God is a God, not just of word, but of action. He didn't just say he loved us in this kind of distant way, this impersonal way far from us. He said it and then he fulfilled it, he came near. More than just a spoken word, the incarnation was the revelation of love in action. John in one of his other letters writes it like this, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent his son to be the perfect sacrifice, which ultimately is our benefit, but that wasn't his number one reason for doing it. His number one reason was to be glorified, that he would be glorified. And his glory, because he's such a good God, often results in our good, amen? When God is glorified, he is so gracious that he allows that glory that he gets through our obedience and through our sacrifice to actually be for our good. We could just merely be servants who just served him and it was all for his glory and we never got any kind of benefit from it. But he is a God that says, if you will glorify me, if you will live for me, if you will believe in me, it will result in good for you. That's good news. That's so good. But there's something more that comes through the incarnation than just the gift of salvation. It's a gift of presence. Have You ever been overwhelmed with life? Feeling like no one understands? Feeling like you get unsolicited advice that really isn't what you need? As I've been reflecting on the incarnation this week, I've just been reminded that there is a God who came near, who says, draw near to me. And in that, in my presence, you will find peace. There's a story about a a king who ruled in Persia. He was a wise king. He was known as a good king. Not all kings are, but he loved his people and as often happens and sometimes in these cultures and in these kingdoms the The king is felt separated from the people that he was ruling over. He was kind of set apart in his palace and he was not really allowed to have normal interactions, but he loved his people. He wanted to to know how they lived. He wanted to be closer to them. And so he was known to often dress in clothes like a working man or a beggar and sneak out of his palace and go and interact with the people of his kingdom. He went into the homes of the poor, but no one whom he visited knew that he was their ruler. There was one time where he visited a poor man who lived in a cellar. He spent time with this man. He ate the food that poor man ate. He spoke cheerful and kind words to him, and then he left. But time and time again, he would leave his palace and he would continue to return to that cellar and visit that poor man and one time he came and and it just came to the point where he he felt compelled to reveal his identity to this this beggar who lived in a cellar and so he disclosed his identity and he said to this man I am your king and for a moment the king thought that after making this disclosure to this man who lived in the cellar who had nothing that this man would surely ask for some gift or favor from this king, but he didn't. Instead he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate and you brought gladness to my heart. To others you have given your rich gifts, but to me, you have given yourself. The incarnation is the reminder that not only did God give us the gift of salvation, He has given us the gift of His presence. In Him, we find peace. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's my concern this morning in the light of all the fun festivities that go into every Christmas, it is possible for us to actually identify with a section of this passage that we would be maybe slow to admit that that's really where our hearts are at. It says in verse 10 that he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came near and he was unrecognized. I don't know about you, but if you knew today that you were gonna give a gift to someone that they didn't appreciate or didn't accept, or didn't even realize you were giving them a gift, that might change your motivations to give them the gift. If it was going to be unappreciated but think about what god did the omniscient god knowing all things knowing that he would come into the very world he would create to reach the people that broke that world through their sinful disobedience to extend to them an invitation to have a restored relationship with him. He knew that coming close to them, they would not recognize him, they would not honor him as king. In fact, they would crucify him. And yet that did not stop him from coming and giving himself for you and for me. The arrival of the son is the revelation of God's love. Love in action, in agape love, an unconditional love that has nothing to do with your initial willingness to believe it, to receive it, to enjoy it, but it's all motivated by his love for us, not our reciprocation of love to him. He came near and extended an invitation to draw close to him. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. This is the invitation for us this morning. The invitation is for us to dwell on the incarnation and say, thank you, God, for the gift of your son. That special revelation, that one of a kind gift, that necessary sacrifice that you gave us because why? Because you love us. Would you pray with me? As we bow our heads and and close this morning, I just wanna remind us of John's desire. The man that God used to write down these inspired words that were read for us this morning and that we've been reflecting on in these last few moments had a desire that everyone who would read these words would believe that the person that he was talking about was the Messiah. John's desire for you and for for me is that we would read these Christmas accounts. We would read these stories about Jesus and that we would believe in him, not just intellectually, but personally, that we wouldn't be like the people who did not recognize him, but that we would see him as the savior and desire to know him through faith. And so this morning, I'm aware that there could be Some of you who, perhaps this is one of the few days of the year that you come to church. I first wanna say, I'm glad you're here. We love it when you're here. But the desire for for John and for, for our savior and for us would be that you would come to know your savior, that you would recognize him, that you would believe, that the Son of God came to earth to die, not for the sins of other people, but for your sins, to rise from the grave victoriously, proving he wasn't just a man, that he was God, and that he invites you now to have that relationship reconciled with him. I can't think of a better gift for you to receive this morning, if you have not started a relationship with God, than the gift of eternal life. So this morning, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you want to start that relationship, we would love to pray with you. We would love to speak to you after this service. We'll have some people up front who would love to answer any questions you might have. But I just want to remind you, God knows exactly where your heart's at. He knows your skepticism. He knows your doubt. He even knows maybe some of the things you're angry at him about. And yet that never stopped him. Already knowing that would be the reality today, he still came to the earth and died for our sins. But for those of us this morning who have a relationship with God, I would just ask you to consider this this morning. Do you know him? Have you spent time with him? Do you know his voice? His desire is for us to first to know him as savior, but he also wants to know us as friend. And so our encouragement this morning is to not get lost in this season with all the distractions of life, but to continue to pursue to know the son of God, Emmanuel. Father God, we thank you for your gift of a son of a savior, of a friend. And we ask you now that you would allow these truths to be on our minds as we celebrate Christmas. And God, for all the hurt that we have experienced in our life, we're thankful for a God who broke into the brokenness to save us, to give us life, to give us light, and to adopt us into his family. God, we thank you for the revelation of your son. We pray now that you would allow that to drive our Christmas celebrations. And I pray this in your son, Jesus' name.